A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. COVID-19 patients need your help. If you've fully recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have the antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients recover. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today to schedule an appointment to donate blood. That's V-I-T-A-L-A-N-T dot org. Help save lives and schedule your appointment at Vitalant.org. You could help save lives. This is an ode to Napa cabbage. Of all the cabbages on all the cabbage farms, only you have the crisp crunch worthy of our Bibigo Korean dumplings. No other cabbage would do, because no other cabbage tastes like you. We love you, Napa cabbage. Just don't tell Green Onion. Napa cabbage, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every hearty, flavorful Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. Hello, it's Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. We have Chris Dickey, founder and CEO of Visibly, which bills itself as multi-channel marketing for search. We'll dig into that and see exactly what that means on today's show. Chris, it's great to have you on. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Can you share your background and how you came to found Visibly? Yeah, absolutely. So I am, as you introduced me, a multi-channel marketer. I've worked in all facets of the marketing industry for the last 17 years, in-house marketing direction, publishing, and agency work. In the last 10 years, 12 years, I've been running my own agency. It's a communications agency. I'm based in Jackson, Wyoming. And we do a lot of PR work and, and help our clients kind of get their messages out there through public relations and brand communications. And what we found several years ago was that the stickiest PR hits that we acquired for our customers were inevitably and always the hits that somehow bubbled up to the top of search. And yep. it had a lot less to do with the publication's name or the circulation or the audience or the unique visitors per month or any of those things. And it had everything to do with sitting at the top of search. And funny enough, publishers end up at the top of search all the time because they're publishers. So, you know, back at that point, there was really no rhyme or reason to it from our end. It was just like we kind of got lucky. Something would show up at the top of search. It would just outperform everything else for that month and everyone would be really happy. We eventually started asking ourselves, how do we be more deliberate about this? How do we focus on keywords and certain search phrases and certain audiences? And how do we dominate those search results? Which led us down this rabbit hole of what kind of where Visibly came from was this idea of kind of really analyzing the SERP or the, or the search engine results page um, at this very granular level where you kind of recognize this multi-channel interface going on. And 
saying, oh, this stuff is relevant to PR, this stuff's relevant to e-commerce, and we need to kind of sort through all that. And now we need to kind of isolate the stuff that's only important for my discipline, which was public relations. And and then this platform kind of came into existence that is visibly and, and invisibly fundamentally is, I would say that what we do is focus on what I call search engine visibility. And it's yep. the idea that what we're really trying to do is encourage marketers to think about their brand more holistically in search. And there's great tools out there for advertising. There's great tools out there for SEO. And SEO is traditionally defined as how do you improve the ranking of your own website. But in reality, the way that people really work is they 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 kind of click around and they figure out, you know, what's interesting on that first page. And, and maybe they don't see anything interesting and they change their search query and yeah. they'll get something else. And fundamentally, how do you kind of create dominant brand strategies across the entire page of search? And that's what we're trying to tackle. Yeah, I want to dig into all that and SERP and everything, but I'm always intrigued by finding out where people live and, and why <laughs> why they live there. I've talked to a lot of people on this show from around the world, and I've talked to a lot of people who live like in Boise, Idaho, oh, yeah. or Provo, Utah. Sure. And I've talked to a couple of people who live in Wyoming, and I've mm-hmm. been to parts of Wyoming, and I can see why you'd want to live there. But before we started recording, you mentioned that you used to live in southern New Hampshire. So how did you go from one place to the other? As a young person, I was just really aggressively pursuing my career. And there was an opportunity at a startup in southern New Hampshire that sprung up and I jumped on it. And I had this opportunity as a very young person, as 23 at the time, to help start a company and be their marketing director, be their marketing lead. And of course, I knew not, I do, I knew nothing about it, but I, I was, I was, I was <laughs> so, excited to so try. So you were perfect for it, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just like, hey, unlimited time, unlimited enthusiasm, limited, you know, knowledge. So let's, let's figure it out. And, you know, that was why I was in, in Southern New Hampshire. Then I was offered another really amazing opportunity in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. that brought me back here. And it just very rapidly, I fell in love with the landscape. And my personal passions are the mountains. And, and so yeah. I do a lot of skiing and, and rock climbing and, and trail running and things like that. And so the Tetons just offer incredible accessibility. There's just a really rugged, beautiful landscape that you can play in year-round. Yeah. And the, the, the Rockies and the Tetons, I mean, we have mountains here on the East Coast, up in mm-hmm. New Hampshire and Vermont and, you know, down in the Appalachians. But... I mean, you see those mountains out of the Rockies, and they're just massive. They're on a different scale. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Tetons are really special, in my opinion, too, because Mm -hmm. there's this fault line that sits right at the base of them. And then, so you have this beautiful, flat valley. And there's no, there's really no foothills. It's just, it just goes straight up. Yeah. And about 7,000 feet from the valley floor to the top of the Grand Teton, and there's not a lot like that in the United States, just to see yeah. that kind of relief and it hits you and it inspires you. And it also makes it easier to get there because you don't have to get through all these foothills. It just right. starts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Great. It's always, always fascinating to find out where people live and, you know, what their passions are outside of marketing because, you know, work is one thing and, and leisure is another thing. And if you can merge the two, then all the better. Exactly. And if you can live in a place like you live where your recreation is just probably outside your back door, I mean, that that's amazing. It literally is. I actually, from where I'm sitting right now, I can walk to a chairlift, which is, <laughs> which is pretty special. That's awesome. So you say it's time for marketers to move the goal line from how do I improve my website's ranking and search to how do I improve my brand's ranking in search? Why is that and how can a brand do that? Yeah, you know, it's absolutely. So any marketer, any brand marketer realizes that Fundamentally, marketing is a multi-channel discipline. You don't just put all your eggs in one basket. And, you know, that's the reason why you have a search team and you have you have a paid media team and you have a PR team and you have a content team and you have all these teams and, you, and then you have like an inbound kind of marketing team and all these other kind of pieces that fit together in, into this large funnel that you're attracting new customers and you're retaining them and you're nurturing those relationships and trying to get them through to the bottom. Fundamentally, search is the same way. Search is a multi-channel landscape. And so when you just show up in one place, great, but let's try to expand on that. You know, And I, I kind of see that's how, that's where SEO is. And SEO is, don't get me wrong, I think it's the, it's the gold standard. If you can get your own website in the first page of search for something that's a, a non-branded, you know, highly valuable term, wonderful, good on you. Most of us can't do it. And if you think about it, the first page of search is this incredible place to reach a customer. And I'll just kind of explain why. You're getting somebody who is highly interested in the product or service that you're selling assuming that they're not already searching for your own company, in which case they're already a customer or they know who you are, they're searching for a product or service, they're looking for a recommendation, they're looking for a tip, whatever it might be, essentially asking a question. There's over 4 billion people a day searching on the internet in some kind of search engine. Most of it's Google, over 90% of it's on Google. Those are all questions. And then what's crazy is that about 70% of those people will select a result in the first five results on the first page of search. So they have very predictable click behavior. And when you think about this and you think about it from the perspective of, okay, you have these people showing up into perpetuity that I can't find anywhere else in the world. They're all showing up in the same place and they're clicking on the same place on the the page. Then you have a very well-defined target, right? It's like the top of the first page is where I need to be for these particular terms. And then I think the marketer needs to step back and say, what's the best strategy to get there? Is it SEO? It may or may not be. It may be a really competitive keyword. Don't throw that keyword out. Just come up with another strategy. And that's kind of where we're trying to encourage marketers. It seems to me like SEO is kind of like a dark art. It's totally in the uh, hands of Google to, you know, if they change their algorithm, it can really upset the apple cart. And maybe it makes more sense to focus on, you know, content and what you do as a company. And maybe maybe that's what you're helping brands do with Visibly. What we're trying to do is really pull back the veil on where you're showing up within the SERP. And that's the search engine results page. And so, like I said at the beginning, there's great tools for SEO and great tools for ads. What I recognize as a PR practitioner, that there is no... No one addressing the simple question, where does my brand exist on the first page of search? 
Yeah. That nobody was addressing that. And why that's so important is because that's where your customer is interfacing with your company. And so the problem is there's a third party talking about your product and service. Let me give you an example. Amazon. <laughs> if Amazon shows up all the time on the first page search, right at the top, and if you're on that landing page, that you could be selling a ton of stuff, whatever, yeah. widgets, whatever it is, but there's no way to know. There's no way to know that you're there. There's no one checking you. Yeah. Same thing with the media review. If you're trying to buy whatever it might be, a pair of wireless headphones, and there's a bunch of reviews recommending headphones and SEO platforms could tell you those aren't your websites, so you don't exist here. And, and what Visibly is trying to say is, wait, hold on a minute. Those are all reviews and maybe they're all talking about your headphones. Let's go check. And once you kind of see that map or footprint, if you will, about where your brand is showing up in the first page of search, you can build strategies. And that's yeah. that's what we're trying to uh, encourage. Yeah. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. Do you think compared to e-commerce and media companies, brand-owned websites are at an inherent disadvantage when it comes to search? They are, without question. And it's also very... You know, the brand-owned companies that do rise to the top kind of end up staying there through that sense that they get all the traffic and then they're easier to see and then they get more backlinks. For the newbies that are trying to show up or, or the mid-sized brands that are trying to show up, they're trying to compete with this Olympic level of domain authority. And a domain authority is, is a bit of a made-up word. It's the SEO community made it up. But the idea is, and this is for sure, you know, the way it works with search engines, effectively Google or Bing or Yahoo or, or whomever it is, looks at a domain, that's the root of your website, and they look at all the incoming links from around the internet. And they look and they count them all up and they effectively, it's like this game of social media. And these are known as backlinks. And, and effectively, if you have really important sites that are backlinking or linking into your site, that gives you a little bit of what they call link equity or, or a link juice. And the more of these kind of more important people that think you're also an authority, then you can kind of shore up and that tide raises for your own website. It's really hard to develop the, the breadth and the depth and the quality of backlinks very quickly. Yeah. It takes years, which it's even harder if you have no visibility in search. <laughs> so yeah. that's why, you know, these publishers just crush it. And that's why large companies, it's hard to move them off of those that first page because they have such a lead on their competition when it comes to these backlinks. And frankly, also, they employ dozens of people to do it all day long and, and make sure that they stay there. So it does behoove marketers to think more holistically about how do we create patterns of visibility for the brand that are maybe leveraging someone else's domain authority. Yeah. So how can a brand stack the uh, search engine result pages in their favor? This seems to me to be pretty important because we all know that what we just discussed, that most prospects click on the first one or two results on a page. I'm the kind of guy who, when I do a search, sometimes I'll go through three or four 
pages, but most people don't even scroll down. <laughs> That's right? extremely rare. Yeah. yeah. There's less than 1% of all the search traffic will go to page two. I am in um, the 1% for something. Then. You are in the 1%. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the first thing it starts with kind of creating your keywords and that's where it all starts, right? Because a keyword is, is effectively a question that a customer asks a search engine that may relate to your product and service. And so you have to reverse engineer how people, that product discovery process and how they find you. And that starts with keywords. So do this keyword research. It visibly does provide a tool. We are out there. We're not the only tool. There's tons of them out there. There's tons of keyword research tools. Some are expensive and some are free. But come up with kind of reverse engineer that product discovery process and identify your keywords. And then you need to start bucketing your keywords by discipline or by channel. And so what I mean by that is at the beginning of of this chat, we talked about as a PR practitioner, there's all this stuff in there that's not relevant to PR. Well, that's the same thing. As a PR person, I only want to focus on keywords that have a lot of opportunity for PR. You know, there's no point in me focusing on keywords that are dominated by Amazon or e-commerce brands. So again, you need to kind of, now you have this large keyword list, you need to bucket them by opportunity. And that's something that visibly does help you with, but you can do it on your own. You don't need a, you don't need a software necessarily. What you do is you just look at the results. There's usually on average 10 per page. And you just say, oh, these are either all media or these are brand owned websites, which is what you know, which is which is SEO or these are e-commerce sites or there's something else like maybe they're like Wikipedia or other kind of reference sort of sites. Once you kind of identify kind of which keywords are populating what kind of results and they're bucketed, then you can kind of go to work and you can figure out, okay, where do I exist? Where don't I exist? Where are my holes? Where are my blind spots within the SERP? And, you know, if you're a very young company, you're probably not going to exist anywhere. But if you're a mid-sized company, chances are you do have a presence on those pages and it's important to recognize where you already exist. Just that measurement, that benchmark, if you will. And so you have these buckets, you do the measurement, you create the benchmarks, and then you look at the blind spots and you figure out, oh, this is who I need to talk to. These are my target lists. I think that's one of the hardest things for marketers, it certainly is for PR people, is just who are the most important people to talk to in yeah. a space? Yeah. And I think Google tells you. Yeah. What about other channels like YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter? I think, how how I think can you manage this, that? Because I, 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 I do some searching on Twitter sometimes mm. or, you know, and I understand that YouTube is a really great place for product information. It is. And, yeah. and so instead of Googling, some people go right to YouTube, even though you'd get the same results, basically. Well, I think, I think this idea of search engine visibility isn't just exclusive to search engines. To your point, I think, you know, there are lots of types of search engines. And certainly, like, the largest video search engine is YouTube. And effectively, the same strategy applies is, you know, type in a search see what comes up on that first page because that first page is where that lion's share of traffic is. And then again, there becomes the landscape that you really want to analyze. Like who's showing up there? Who's doing a good job? Do you have any shared voice there? Yes or no? And frankly, you can do the same thing on Amazon's platform. You know, you can do the same thing on Lowe's or Home Depot's platform or Best Buy. You know, these are all very large kind of search-oriented ecosystems. And it's important to figure out how do you create visibility across all these places where there's so much competition. Yeah, 
Yeah. I didn't think about Amazon, but of course, that's like the blinding glimpse of the obvious there because so much happens uh, <laughs> oh, on yeah. Amazon. There are whole agencies that just focus on nothing but optimizing within the Amazon ecosystem. Yeah, and I've talked to a couple of people who are focused on that, and it's like something I use every day, but I didn't think about it in this mm-hmm. context, but it makes a tremendous amount of sense. So there's a lot of information available on Google. You can find out you know, about your targets, you know, people that you're trying to get in front of. So how can you build a list and mine the data that's freely available? And I guess my other question is, how can you do it ethically? Well, I don't think there's any way that you're not doing ethically. Google is providing that data publicly. They're not charging for it. There's no payroll. So you're not stealing anything, number one. Number two, there's no, you know, people want to show up on Google. They want to be seen. There's no reason, you're not taking any data that's not being publicly offered. So I don't think there's any ethical concerns about using Google to create lists. I think what Google does a really good job of is their algorithms are incredibly good. They're the best in the world at identifying the most relevant content for any given subject in the world. And they sort through literally millions of stuff. And then they organize it and then they look at it and they figure out what's the best organized, what's the colloquial, what's fitting, what is the best fit for the thing that you're looking for. And they serve it up. Yeah. And to grab that in aggregate is really helpful. And what I mean by aggregate is like not just look at one keyword, but look at 100 or 200 or 1,000 or 10,000. And now you have, you know, there's... 10,000 times 10, so you have 100,000 potential results that are showed up in the first page of search. And there's certainly, there are some duplicates in there that you can dedupe. But like, at the end of the day, that what you really need to do at that point is organize it and separate out. Say, okay, I just want to look at the e-commerce. I just want to look at the PR. I just want to look at the brand-owned blogs. I just want to look at the affiliate sites. Yeah. And that's where AI becomes very helpful. And that's something that we have developed it visibly is that ability to segment and organize and then extract. And so, you know, we look at it from the perspective of like, you know, maybe somebody wants to look at just PR hits, you know, again, back to the PR world. And then within those PR hits, I want to just look at PR hits that we didn't show up in. And maybe I just want to look at PR hits that I didn't show up in that are being populated on Google Desktop. And maybe I just want to look at a certain date range. And maybe I just want to look at a certain location. Like I just want to look at Europe or UK or Cincinnati, Ohio, you know, whatever it might be. And so to be able to just like organize and sift through and extract, and now you have a very targeted list full of the most relevant results in the world in your category that's channel specific that you missed. And it becomes a great way to start building relationships and doing the kind of heavy lifting that it takes to build these visibility patterns. That's interesting. One of the things I like to do as I close out these chats is kind of think about the future and where things are going. And offer some advice from my guest to my listeners. So where do you see search going? And what advice would you leave my listeners with to ensure they're making the right moves in search? Search is, man, a couple things. I think it's going toward a place where you have to be very careful about the intent Mm -hmm. of the user. And no longer is it okay to just figure out, oh, I'm going to try to match this keyword with content on my site. That doesn't work that way anymore. Google, any other search engine for that matter, but Google's the best at it, tries to determine what are you after? 
what is the searcher who is typing this keyword? What are they trying to get? What are they trying to do? And that idea of search intent is going to play a huge role and it's very nuanced and it really creates the final filter for what gets put on the first page and put at the top search position and gets that featured snippet or whatever it might be, or gets in that, you know, that map or that knowledge panel. And to match up and to understand, I talked about bucketing at the beginning of this chat, to bucket by search intent is a really important thing to think about. And there's not great tools. We try to do it visibly. We look at transactional versus informational searches. And effectively, that's click to buy versus click to learn. But it gets more nuanced than even that. That's fairly broad. And so that, that I think, is the next frontier is getting really drilling in yeah. on search intent. And I've talked about intent-based marketing here on the podcast, and that seems to just make so much sense to think about what is the person Mm -hmm. attempting to do here, and let's try and help with it. Yeah, and that's why Google, you know, has maintained its dominance in the search categories. They do such a good job with it. People come back to Google over and over again because they have very satisfying search experiences. And that's because Google gets, you know, really gets it, and they understand intent, and they're getting better at it. Yeah, and they also have been able to monetize it in an astounding way, right? But they've been able to monetize it in a way that doesn't irritate the user, too. Yeah, yeah. And hard to you do know, that. We, this is another conversation entirely, yeah, yeah. but they're starting to get rid of uh, cookies on their Chrome browser, yeah, yeah. which means that they're going to also have a data monopoly. Yeah, um, yeah. And that the only way to reach these people will be through their own system, their own platform, because no one else is going to have the data. My sense is with data privacy and, you know, security and all that, if a company like Google can, I hesitate to use this word, monopolize search, <laughs> they're going to own it, right? So they're going to have the platform and the data. They do already. They already, I mean, I think if you ask the, like... <laughs> but if you have cookies, you know, if they're eliminating cookies from Chrome then they own another avenue that you could independently kind of verify, right? Yeah. I mean, I think they're still tracking everything. They're yeah. tracking all the user behavior. I mean, like over 90% of all the searches worldwide are on Google. That's even higher in the United States. There's yeah. the second, the next largest search engine is Bing at barely 2% of the right. world's market share. So yeah, Google has... An incredible monopoly. And I think, you know, the Justice Department is uh, currently looking into that. Yeah. And may- maybe it's something next year you and I can kind of revisit and just talk about that whole environment and we'll see what happens. <laughs> It'll be the- interesting. I mean, at the-, at the end of the day, Google provides us a lot of value. Yeah. And, you know, that's because they have everything under an umbrella and they make it, they make a very useful ecosystem full of a lot of free stuff. But you're absolutely right. They're monetizing it. And, and they have the to. Other, when I say it, it's in a way that doesn't irritate the user either because yeah. I'm searching for, you know, car batteries, right? Mm-hmm. So when I see an ad for car batteries, I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. On Facebook, they just look at, you know, who I'm connected to. They look at, you know, some of the groups that I'm in. And then they figure, well, maybe he wants to see an ad for hats, right? I'm sure it's a lot more complex than I just described, but there's not as much intent behind my behavior on Facebook as there is on Google. It's hard to say. I, You know, we give Facebook so much 
Guff. Yeah, I mean, they know everything about us. You know, know, it it even drives me crazy when they start to recognize the faces in our photos, you know. Right. (laughs) Which is a more dangerous problem than just knowing that I like to buy hats occasionally. Yeah, I mean, you better believe that that Google has facial recognition technology at play, too. Google has a product that's really, we're we're digressing here, but Google has a product called Google Lens. This is another thing that, you know, you can just, it's this augmented reality where you can just hold it up and you can take a picture of something, it'll automatically recognize, like, the genus of the flower that you're looking at and tell you what it is. I mean, that is incredible, too. Yeah, yeah what you do when you got bucket loads of money and you don't know what to spend it on, right? <laughs> They'll figure, the, uh, they're like, we'll figure out how we can make money out of this in a couple of years. So let's just put yeah. it out there and see what happens. Well, I think we've definitely covered search and boy, there's a lot of other stuff we could chat about, but we'll have to keep that until next time. Chris, thanks so much for joining me. I think this was a really valuable discussion. Thank you, Mark. All right, that does it for this week. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Reed Edwards, executive producer, writer, and host of Confessions of a Marketer. Shep Salau is my producer, helping put together the shows every week. Annalyn Timball is my assistant, and she helps with guest relations and getting everything scheduled just right. Thanks, Sheb and Annalyn. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2020. Stay healthy and see you next time. You stay home for the greater good. Secondhand smoke doesn't. It drifts through cracks in walls, air vents, and sink drains, spreading toxic chemicals that can damage lungs. Secondhand vape also puts your lungs at risk, even with the fruity smells. Protect yourself and the people around you from these secondhand dangers. Learn how at tobaccofreeca.com.